This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay and your weekend wasn't too much of a washout in all the rain. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast on Monday, November the 7th. And our top story today is that climate protesters have been disrupting traffic on the M25. Just a few weeks after climbing the QE2 bridge at the Dartford Crossing, Just Stop Oil campaigners have got on to gantries over the motorway. I'm here on the M25, up on the gantry. And police is just stopping traffic on the M25. I'm here because our government gives me no choice. We're in a climate emergency. And instead of saving us, the government lets other big companies invest in, in fossil fuels, which is killing us, us and our children. I'm here because I don't have a future. And you might hate me for doing this. And you're entitled to hate me. I wish you would direct all that anger and hatred at our government. They are betraying young people like me. I would love to be there if they did their lawful duty to their own citizens. I'm part of the Just Stop Oil Coalition, demanding an end to all new oil and gas licenses in the UK. What we're asking for is what all the scientists are asking for, what the United Nations are asking for, the International Energy, the IPCC. How many more people have to say we don't have a livable future if you continue licensing oil and gas for you to listen? Why does it take young people like me up on a gantry on the M25 for you to listen? Surrey police were forced to close the stretch between junctions 6 and 7 earlier. Protesters were also at the Darrenth Interchange and over in Essex. We're told a number of people have been arrested. Over the weekend, courts granted an injunction in a bid to stop protesters from disrupting the M25. It followed that action at the Dartford Crossing, which happened for two days last month. Anyone who breaks the injunction could face prison time and unlimited fines. Now, this has all happened as COP27 takes place in Egypt. A delegation from Kent are there. Dr Carl Wright is from the Canterbury Climate Action Partnership. One of the things I'm very pleased about CCAP, the Canterbury Climate Action Partnership, is that we actually bring together uh, all the key stakeholders, you know, the council, the businesses, the universities, the uh, community groups, uh, and, and trying to really get that message across. But you're absolutely right. You know, more needs to be done. It needs to be done by 2030, because if we don't make progress in the next eight years, we're not going to reach those big targets uh, middle of the century and we're going to be really in trouble. You know, uh, I said before, you know, it won't be that long before the Isle of Thunder becomes an island again with global warming. And and that's, that's you know, and we've seen this sort of heat wave this summer. So I think, I think we really got to make more effort on this. And back to Canterbury, just finally, obviously there are some very radical plans to try and reduce pollution within the city. I'm sure you've seen them dividing the city up into various zones and, and fines potentially for drivers who, who go in from one zone into another. Do you think that's going a bit too far or do you welcome that sort of idea? I think it's probably the right approach. Um, I mean, I think air pollution is such a killer, you know, especially for kids and young people and old people as well, you know. So I think it has to be radical solutions. I'm not sure some of the wider proposals of the Canterbury local plan are very sensible, which envisages, you know, big increase in housing and a massive ring road. And I think we're, we're addressing some of those issues. And I know there's a lot of concern, 
But certainly, I think any measure to cut back on air pollution is welcome. Lovely. Dr. Carl, that's fantastic. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention, uh, maybe about COP27 or anything that we haven't covered already? No, I think that sort of pretty well covers the, the key issue. Uh, as I say, I think we'll, we'll probably be, the, again, the only delegation from Kent going to COP. It'll be rather smaller, given it's in Egypt. But uh, certainly, we're, we're going to wave the flag of the really good things that came out of our climate festival and our climate awards. And I think, you know, what people got to see, there's lots of positive things that can be done, not just the negatives. Don't forget, you can keep up to date with travel information via our live blog at Kent Online. We also have regular travel updates over on our sister radio station, KMFM. Kent Online News. Other top stories for you today. And another protest has been held outside an asylum processing centre in Manston. Hundreds of people gathered at the site in Thanet yesterday afternoon, with many calling for it to be shut down. Stephen Jackson is from SOAS Detainee Support and helped organise the demo. There's between two and 4,000 people that are currently being detained in awful conditions, completely illegally, not that the legality of our border regime is a good arbiter of what makes good conditions. But uh, we absolutely have to show solidarity with the people there and show that despite our awful government, awful Home Secretary, awful government position in this country, um, we're a very welcoming people and we want people to be welcome here and we want them to be loved and we want to show them compassion. You mentioned before about uh, the conditions at Manston and obviously we've heard some really horrifying quite frankly reports of of the uh, situation inside the centre. Is that surprising to you? Did that news come as a a shock? It's always shocking but it's hardly surprising unfortunately. Um, If you think you can imagine um, how, how poorly we treat refugees and migrants in this country then um, you can't. The, the the Home Office will always shock us with their cruelty. Um, it's important to say that whilst conditions at Manston are particularly terrible, particularly awful, there's a particular overcrowding. Um, you know, denying people phones, holding people for for a month in a centre where they're only legally, which again isn't a good arbiter of any good conditions, only legally allowed to be held for twenty four to forty eight hours is particularly disgusting. But it's not shocking because this is representative of the way that we treat refugees and migrants, the way our border policy and our asylum system works. The Home Office insists improvements have been made with more than a 1,000 asylum seekers moved out of the site last week. Meantime, the former Home Secretary says he was given legal advice about the way the asylum processing centre in Manston was operating. Grant Shapps was in the job for just six days before being replaced by Suella Braverman again. He's admitted there were problems at the site in Thanet. We've got to be careful not to break the law ourselves uh, by detaining um, people who are able to uh, be uh, outside of that, what is not a detention centre, but a processing centre at Manston. So really just a question of making sure that we were acting within the law uh, and uh, and that's something that the Home Secretary is, is continuing to do now. Um, so, you know, I, I, really just a, a question of making sure that uh, we're first of all trying to do all we can to prevent people from making that perilous dangerous journey being people trafficked uh, and then secondly uh, making sure that we keep ourselves within the law uh, not detaining people when in fact uh, they uh, are able to be uh, moved on 
rather than kept in what's just a processing centre. Meantime, Rishi Sunak will meet with the French president later to discuss the Channel Crossings crisis. They're both at the COP27 climate conference in Egypt as the UK government comes under pressure to stop the dangerous small boats and treat asylum seekers better. Britain and France are thought to be close to reaching an agreement allowing Border Force staff to patrol the beaches. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. Detectives are continuing to question two men on suspicion of murder after a double stabbing in Mepham. A man in his 30s died and another was taken to a London hospital following the attack at the Cricketers Inn pub on Saturday night. A 29- and 50-year-old remain in custody. Elsewhere, one person has been arrested after a serious assault near Rochester. Police were called to Borstal Street in Borstal late on Saturday night. The victim was taken to a London hospital. A 31-year-old is in custody. A woman's recovering from an unprovoked attack in a Folkestone alleyway that left her covered in blood. Eliza Eastland was walking home just after half seven at night when she felt someone was following her. The 21-year-old started to run but had her head smashed against a wall. She's been speaking to our reporter, Rhys Griffiths. I was, I wouldn't say followed in a sense, I felt like I was being followed and so I started running down an alleyway and I got to the nearest lamppost in the middle of the alleyway. I stopped, turned around to see if anyone was following me. There wasn't. I walked about three more seconds forward and then my head was smashed against a wall. And the last thing I remember from that is looking up and seeing someone running away and I was thinking, why would someone do this then run away if their intention was to cause head trauma like that in a sense? It didn't make any sense to me. So I tried to get up and obviously follow the person to try and see their face, try and see who it was. I wasn't going to ask them why they'd done it. I just wanted to know who had done it so I could tell the police. But I couldn't walk properly. I was tripping over my own feet and my head felt really warm. And I wondered why, why did it feel warm until I got into the light and there was blood all over my face. I put my hand up to my head and I could feel my skull. And that's when I started to panic and I kept rehearsing my name and my date of birth in my head so that if I found anyone I could tell them who I was and so that they could get help if I passed out or anything like that. But I ended up having to walk about three minutes around the corner into the main road to get attention from someone because people were just walking past and staring and not really helping. In those moments before this happened, you, you got a sense that perhaps someone was following the you? The reason why I started running so fast is because I felt like someone was behind me. I felt something bad was going to happen. I felt sick in my stomach, like someone was watching me. And it turns out that somebody probably was. The moment that they, the actual assault itself, was it over very, very quickly? Or, you know, what was that experience? In my head, everything kind of, as soon as I felt the bang to my head, everything kind of stopped in slow motion like when you watch a movie and a grenade goes off everything was ringing my eyes were blurry my head was all static in that moment i didn't know who i was or where i was and that's what scared me the most because if i got left there i don't think i would have been found in those moments afterwards you know you said you were you know had to walk to go and find help because you were in that alleyway and people were just walking past you know in that moment and obviously it's a very traumatic moment and you, you, you know, you're not, not necessarily thinking clearly, but what did that feel like to you, to have the people weren't coming to your help? It felt hopeless. It felt like if I was in a situation in a state like that and no one was going to help me, then what was going to happen, you know? What would have happened if I had passed out in the middle of the road? Would people just continue to walk by or 
and stare and take pictures. Like this society we live in nowadays, it's not nice. It's not, it's not a family community. You know, these things can happen to, to anyone, but do you think for women and girls there's a particular fear as the nights get darker? Of course there is, because there's a very big misconception about women being weak and fragile and that if you wear the wrong type of clothes, you're asking for it. But I was wearing a jumper and jeans. It wasn't, it wasn't late, it was 20 to 8 at night and all I was trying to do was walk home. And if that could happen to me dressed like that, it just... It scares me to think what would happen to people on nights out and if they were drunk and if they weren't with their friends or if no one, if they had no family and no one knew where they were. Stuff like that could happen to them and they'll just end up another statistic. Eliza was eventually taken to hospital and needed five stitches and several x-rays. Police say it happened near Dudley Road and they've carried out door-to-door inquiries and reviewed CCTV. Kent Online reports. A security guard has been cleared of assault after a group of girls abused staff and customers at McDonald's in Maidstone. Police were called to Week Street in the town centre in September after around eight teenagers started causing trouble. Prosecutors have reviewed body-worn camera footage and dropped the case against 30-year-old Mohammed Yusuf Usman. Kent commuters have been facing disruption to rail services today, even though strikes were called off. The RMT union suspended the planned industrial action on Friday, saying train operating companies had come forward with a pay offer. Southeastern are running a reduced timetable with no service on the Medway Valley or Sheerness lines because the walkouts were cancelled at such short notice. The last train tonight will be much earlier than normal. Police are going to be patrolling the M25 in unmarked lorries to crack down on driving offences. Officers will be able to see into other big vehicles and cars to catch people using their mobile phone or not wearing a seatbelt. It's known as Operation Orbital and will be in force for the next two weeks. A Kent mum says she's in disbelief after being asked to pay 20p for a pencil her son broke at school. Louise Owen got a letter from Lawn Primary in Norfleet but says she won't pay the money out of principle. The school has been contacted for a comment. Now this this is one of our most read stories today, and it's something we've mentioned on the podcast in the past. It's been revealed the temporary closure of a road in Maidstone was always going to be permanent. Cranbourne Avenue was shut in March last year as Kent County Council experimented with whether they could improve traffic flow at the Wheatsheaf Junction. Now, despite a number of submissions to the council against the closure, highways officers now say there was never any intention to reopen it. Well, if you live in the area, you can let us know what you think by leaving a comment on the story or on our socials. Meantime, plans to bring in a blanket 20 per hour speed limit in Seven Oaks have come under fire. The council's considering the move, which would affect most of the town as well as traffic on the A225 Dartford Road. Opponents say there are underlying costs that could sting the taxpayer. Now, the sister of a Dartford woman who took her own life is calling for all domestic violence-linked suicides to be registered on a national database. 34-year-old Gemma Robinson took her own life rather than face her abuser in court. Her sister Kirsty says the database could be used to build a better picture of the true impacts of domestic violence. Kelly Grian is a local councillor who's been working with Gemma's family and she's been speaking to reporter Sean Delaney. What we know about domestic abuse um, and suicide is that often the despair that victims are in leads them to, to, um, to take their own life. Certainly in, um, in Gemma's case, um, she was terrified about coming to court um, 
she was you know really suffering from the after effects of a very very nasty nasty assault and everything that goes with it and that um certainly seems to be why she took her own life and of course there's no there's no kind of um recourse for that there's no redress for that for Gemma's um family because um you know a crime hasn't been committed in, in the purest sense with her taking her own life but if we look at coercive control certainly um there are cases where very clearly someone has been coerced to end their own life either through very deliberate kind of um pushing that idea onto people or indeed just the despair that's felt by domestic abuse so i think this ruling is so important um and i really hope we see it we see a change in things and i think um you know we know that two women every week are killed in domestic abuse situations um and th and that's that's becoming more widely known it's not known as well as, as well as we would we would perhaps like but uh, i think we certainly need more awareness around the risk of suicide for people that are in domestic abuse relationships or have left domestic abuse relationships and i hope that this this um this situation now leads leads to more organizations understanding and being able to support people that are in domestic abuse or leaving domestic abuse because quite often that support just really, really isn't there unfortunately and what kind of sort of form do you think that would take is it literally you know people having that um you know in their guidance you know so first responders going out mm -hmm. to the scene where sadly people have decided to take their own lives or in instance where people obviously before it gets to that stage where they're showing signs of having um you know uh, being you know being the victim of a domestic of domestic violence i think there's a few things here i think firstly um there is a sort of misconception that once you leave an abusive relationship the, the problems are really over and actually what we know is that um the point where a woman leaves that leaves that abusive relationship is the point they're most at risk of being murdered um i would like to see some more research into whether that's the most high risk type of suicide but even without that that um that research to prove that i think it, it's a very volatile time for people there's a lot of despair there's a lot of difficulties in navigating the system um and you can certainly see why for somebody in that situation they can feel very isolated very alone often they've moved to another part of the country they've lost uh, contact with family members because they've had to move away from where the perpetrator is so i think we really need a lot more support and safety planning and i think safety planning should include um assessments of the risk of suicide for anyone who's leaving a domestic abuse situation um i think one thing that i've, I've spoken to a few people about is is when there is a suicide um the way that is looked at by the police because in a case where there's a, a murder scene um, a high-ranking police officer will come to that scene and secure the scene. Uh, in the case of a suicide, um, a lot of potential evidence that could show that that suicide is linked to domestic abuse and possibly even lead to prosecutions. And um, we have had one prosecution of somebody um, for um, causing someone to take their own life in domestic abuse. Um, it seems the, the assumption is that a lot of evidence is lost in that golden hour after a suicide. So the we really need um, a movement within the police to try and change that so that um, very specialist people are sent to the, to the aftermath of the suicide to look at what's happened there um, and take those kind of, make those kind of assessments, take those kind of judgments that perhaps that can be looked at um, later on. Um, you know, domestic violence figures uh, are going up in terms of how many people are reporting it, which is probably a good thing because we think it's always been very much hidden. But prosecutions for domestic violence are falling. Um, we need to look at where, why that is and what the cause of that is. But certainly, I think the lack of support is um, is, is a big problem. And I think um, because we've got so many problems in other things, like we know we can't get a GP's appointment, GPs are well placed, 
to help people with uh, suffering with their mental health a lot of the time that's very difficult especially again if you've moved to a new area because of the abuse you maybe haven't got a gp you can't get a get a gp and there these are a points where help could have been available that will, will be missed i think anyone coming to a e with domestic abuse injuries needs to be assessed for if they're a risk of suicide all, all of these kind of things and i'd like to see better training across the board really for everyone in dealing with domestic abuse because i think most people want to do the right thing when they're dealing with people who are victims of domestic abuse but i think sometimes the training is lacking. Kent Online reports. It's feared hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of revenue is being lost in Canterbury as some holiday lets are not registered for council tax or business rates. Almost 250 self-catering properties avoid paying the costs, which add up to around half a million pounds. It's prompted calls for businesses like Airbnbs to be better regulated. Dozens of volunteers have been building bets to make sure children living in poverty in Thanet have somewhere to sleep. An event's taken place at the Discovery Park in Sandwich, where more than 90 beds were put together. Our colleagues at KMTV have been catching up with Alexander Rourke from the Thanet Iceberg Project and some of the volunteers involved. We're here today because, in brief, there's about 300 children around the Thanet area that don't have their own bed. And we decided that we weren't going to let that happen as an organisation. So, in partnership with Cummins, um, with Planets District Council and just the goodwill of an awful lot of people we've been building beds and that's culminated today in the big bed build down at Discovery Park with about 120 people from all the businesses down here coming together to build upwards of about 80 or 90 beds. Can government do more? Yeah, I'm sure they can. Can people do more? Yeah, I'm sure they can. There, there is no easy answer to this, but we are where we are. And when 120 people get together like this, that's another bed just been made. When 120 people get together like this, this is a step in the right direction to making the future a better place for the people of Thanet. And, and the, the way that we find uh, places that they, they, they need the beds is through social services, through the women's shelters. Um, we have a number of the doctor surgeries now refer people in through social prescription. Uh, and just, you get people through Facebook and other social media platforms that, that say, I know this family that need this. And we get people that just say, look, we're in need. And, and to be honest, um, it's a bed. If somebody really needs it, we're never going to turn anyone down. People say, aren't you worried you're being taken for a ride? No, not really. If somebody needs a bed for a child, I don't really mind what their circumstances. If their child needs a bed, we'll give it to them. It's brilliant. That's why we come out, really. Um, yeah, it's doing stuff for the community, uh, helping people who, who need help. That's kind of what we're all about, I think. I work with CRAN, Kent Refugee Action Network, as a youth ambassador and I'm from Eritrea and I'm really happy to come here. Since I came to here, I've been supported by the community, by Kran, by my foster carer. So for me to be able to give back, not only just to the people who need, but as well to participate and be part of something big, is a massive achievement and kind of make you feel like, yeah, I'm part of it, rather than just everything be to myself as a refugee, but also give back to other people and other people can know about us as well. So it's kind of, each way rather than supporting as well as participating so yeah it's a 
And you can watch their report by tuning into Kent Tonight live on KMTV from 5.30 this evening. You can also watch the programme via Kent Online. An empty home near Sandwich has been destroyed in a huge fire over the weekend. The historic Georgian building known as Rose Hill in Ash went up in flames on bonfire night. Police were called along with five fire engines and a height vehicle. You can see video footage of the blaze on the website. Medway Council has apologised for its last-minute decision to cancel a firework display in Gillingham on Saturday. Families had already gathered at the Great Lines Heritage Park to see the £40,000 spectacular. Just 45 minutes before it was due to begin, organisers pulled the plug, saying it was due to excessive wind speed. Now, for the first time ever, if you live in Canterbury, you're going to have to pay to visit the cathedral. Permits giving residents free access to the precinct are going to be scrapped in the new year. Officials say passes for those living within four miles of the site or working in the city is no longer sustainable. A £6 pass will be made available instead, but Uni of Kent professor Sean Sayers has concerns. You know, the specific concerns we have are, I understand that it's going to have an electronic, some sort of electronic uh, record in it, uh, or strip in it, or whatever, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm very concerned about what they're going to do with our data. Uh, you know, who they're going to share it with, what they're going to use it for. Secondly, I have concerns about they're going to charge what seems like a very reasonable amount of money, uh, uh, £6 for five years initially. But first of all, that might that might go up. It might be the thin end of the wedge. And secondly, uh, you know, there are people, there are poor people in the community who would not, you know, who, who can't, who aren't going to spend that, and they'll be excluded from the from the cathedral. And thirdly, the third issue I have is what you know: are they going to use this to act, sort of advertise to us, as it were? You know, we, I guess this is about the data sharing again, but worried about what what you know what what they're going to do with it. As Sean mentioned there, cathedral bosses say the pass will last five years and the cost has been kept as low as possible. And Lewis Capaldi has reclaimed his crown on the Kent Top 40 over on our sister radio station, KMFM. Forget Me is back at number one, followed by Taylor Swift's anti-hero. Celestial by Ed Sheeran has been knocked down to number three. Kent Online Sports. Football and Gillingham are in the draw for the second round of the FA Cup, but they face a first-round replay. It finished one all against non-league AFC Fylde at the weekend. Manager Neil Harris spoke after the game. We've got the mentality right, that's for sure. Um, the, the, these games are all about men- mental strength and, and, and preparing correctly for the game. We prepared the boys you know, extremely well. Um, the lads you know, competed, had a go. Um, no, no slacking off. We're, we're, we're at it. Um, did I get the level of performance uh, in spells? I did. Um, but if you're going to keep turning the ball over like we do, then you're going to have to defend for large parts of games. And and, and ultimately, we just didn't take care of the ball well enough second half. So to get in front, away from home in the cup, disappointed not to be through. Um, but uh, it's about winning games of football in, in, the, in the FA Cup, and, and and we're in the draw, and we've got a chance to do that in the replay. For 60. 65 minutes. We didn't look particularly threatened, did we? You knew AFC Fylde would come on strong with 20, 25 to go. Did you feel confident at that point that we would see it through? Yeah, I, I didn't feel in, in any massive danger. Um, you know, a couple of set plays, which is a bit unlike us to concede chances from set plays. Um, I just thought the more subs are made, the worse we got, to be honest. Um, so the subs have to make sure they make an impact when they come on the pitch. Um, we, we, we just... 
we turn the ball over cheaply in the second half, uh, which means you have to run more and it uh, builds momentum for the opponent. And we, we just have to be better with the football. Um, we, we get a cash as a one-on-one could score um, we get into good areas but we're not creative enough again um, so again our, our problems aren't, aren't no different to what they've been you know today was no different we don't use the ball well enough and we don't create enough um, but we were in front 1-0 and I did expect us when I went to a back five to, to combat their shape then we shouldn't be conceding crosses, crosses as easy as we did and we should certainly deal with crosses better than we did Let's talk about our goal cracking finish from, from Mika Manager on that will hopefully do his confidence a world of good yeah, he's got he's got four goals now, hasn't he? Four goals and, and, and four disallowed. Um, so you know, another step in the right direction. Uh, it's a great finish. Um, I thought, thought for probably the first time this season, Will White set plays were terrible before that, and um, then he puts in a wonderful ball um, that we attack well. But it, it was a composed, calm finish. Um, I'm really pleased with me. Just finally, they'll, they'll have to come to us in in a replay date to, to to be confirmed. You know what to expect. To be another another toughie. Yeah, well, yeah, they're a good side. They, they do look at the stadium we're in. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant stadium. Uh, reminds me so much of of Dartford. You know, local team to us reminds me of Dartford and the infrastructure, um, but just just slightly bigger. Uh, the pitch is fantastic. They play the players really well here. Um, you know, so it's you know it's a great setup. We we knew that they're expecting to get promoted this year, um, so we knew it was going to be a real tough game. You know. Fully respectful to the opponent, watch lots of four of their games, just don't know a lot about them. And they're a very good side, and they showed that today in parts. Um, um, and that's why being one nil up away from home and not being as good with the football as I'd hope we would be as the game gets into the last stages is a disappointment. The replay will be the week starting November the 14th and the draw for the second round takes place tonight. If you're watching it, look out for ball number eight. That's a Jules or Fylde. Ebbs Fleet are also in that draw after beating FC Halifax there, number 13. That draw is at seven o'clock. Head to Kent Online for details on who will be playing who. Staying with football, and Gillingham's women have been beaten by Oxford United in their latest Premier Division match. They recently joined forces with Chatham Town after their former owner said he could no longer run the club on his own. Entry to yesterday's match was free, but they lost 1-0. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also sign up to the briefing to get a daily update of the top stories each morning direct to your email. To do that, just head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall.